Chapter Twenty of the Tribulations of a Chinaman in China. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Phil Chenevere. The Tribulations of a Chinaman in China by Jules Verne. Translated by Virginia Champlin. Chapter Twenty. In which it will be seen to what dangers men are exposed who use Captain Boyton's nautical apparatus. Three hours later, the first pale rays of dawn were faintly defined on the horizon, and day soon appeared, and the sea could be seen in all its extent. The junk was no longer visible, having quickly outdistanced the aquatic voyagers, who could not compete with her in speed. They followed the same route to the west, being driven by the same wind, but the Sam Yep must now be more than three leagues off, therefore there was nothing to be feared from those who commanded her. But this danger being avoided did not render the situation less grave. Indeed, the sea was deserted, there was not a ship nor a fishing boat in sight, and no appearance of land at the north or east, and nothing which indicated the proximity of a coast. Were these the waters of the Gulf of Pichili, or of the Yellow Sea? On this point there was no certainty. A few puffs of wind still stirred the surface of the waters, and they must not lose them. The direction which the junk followed proved that land would come in sight in the west sooner or later, and that there it should be sought. The aquatic voyagers then decided to set sail again, after having taken refreshments, for their stomachs claimed their due, and a ten hours' voyage, such as they had made, rendered them imperative. Let us breakfast, said Craig. Plentifully, added Fry. Kin Fo made a sign of assent, and soon expressive movements of the jaws, whose meaning was unmistakable. The famished man no longer thought about the danger of being himself devoured. Quite the contrary. The waterproof bag was then opened, and Fry took out several articles of food of excellent quality, such as bread and preserves, and also some utensils for the table, and whatever was necessary to appease hunger and thirst. Of the hundred dishes which figure in the ordinary menu of a Chinese dinner, there lacked ninety-eight, to be sure, but still there was enough to refresh these four men, who under these circumstances would not be hard to please. They ate a hearty breakfast. The bag contained two days' provisions, and they would reach land in two days or never. But we feel hopeful, said Craig. Why do you feel hopeful? asked Kin Fo in a slightly ironical tone. Because luck is returning to us, answered Fry. Ah, you think so? Certainly, answered Craig. Our greatest danger was the junk, and we have succeeded in getting out of the way of it. Never, sir, since we have had the honor of being attached to your person, have you been safer than here, added Fry. All the Taipeings in the world, said Craig, could not reach you, said Fry, and you float beautifully, added Craig. For a man who weighs two hundred thousand dollars, added Fry, Kin Fo could not help laughing. If I float, he replied, I owe it to you, gentlemen, for without your aid I should now be where poor Captain Yin is. And we also, replied Fry Craig. And I, and I, cried Soon, swallowing an enormous piece of bread with a good deal of effort. No matter, resumed Kin Fo, I know what I owe you. 
You owe us nothing, answered Fry, because you are a patron of the Centenary Life Insurance Company, capital guaranteed $20 million, and we hope that it will have nothing to owe you. Kin Fo was really very much touched by the devotion of the agents, whatever their motive might be, and he did not conceal his feelings. We will talk about this again, he added, when Lo Shen shall have returned the letter, which Wang unfortunately gave up. Craig and Fry looked at each other, and an almost imperceptible smile played around their lips. Evidently the same thought was passing through the mind of each. Soon, said Kin Fo, sir, the tea? Here it is, answered Fry. Fry had his reasons for answering in Soon's name, for the latter would have said that tea was out of the question. But to think that the two agents were embarrassed by so small a matter was not to know them. Fry then drew from the bag a small utensil, which is the indispensable complement of the Boynton apparatus. Indeed, it can serve as a beacon when it is dark, a fireplace when it is cold, and a cooking stove when one wishes a warm drink. Nothing is simpler. It is a tube five or six inches long, fastened to a metallic receptacle, provided with an upper and lower plug, and all encased in a cork plaque in the manner of those floating thermometers used in bathing-houses. Fry placed this utensil on the surface of the water, which was perfectly level. With one hand he opened the upper plug, and with the other the lower one, which was fastened to the immersed part, and immediately a bright flame burst out at the end, giving a very perceptible heat. "'Here is the cooking-stove,' said Fry. Soon could not believe his eyes. "'What?' Do you make fire with water? he cried. With water and phosphoret of calcium, answered Craig. Indeed, this apparatus was constructed in a way to utilize a singular property of the phosphoret of calcium, a compound of phosphorus, which, in contact with water, produces phosphoretted hydrogen. Now this gas burns spontaneously in air, and neither the wind, nor the rain, nor the sea can extinguish it. It is used to light life-boys, which, when they fall, bring the phosphoret of calcium in contact with the water, and a long flame instantly bursts out, which enables the man who falls into the sea to find it in the night, and sailors to come directly to his aid. While the hydrogen was burning at the end of the tube, Craig held a tea-kettle over it, filled with fresh water, which he took from a little flask in his bag. In a few minutes the water boiled, and Craig poured it into a teapot, which contained several pinches of excellent tea, and this time Kin Fo and Soon drank it in the American fashion, without waiting for an invitation. This warm drink made an agreeable ending to this breakfast, served on the surface of the water in such a latitude and such a longitude. It only needed a sextant and a chronometer to determine the position within a few seconds. These instruments will one day be added to Captain Boynton's bag of utensils, and shipwrecked men will no longer run the risk of being lost on the ocean. Kin Fo and his companions, now thoroughly rested and refreshed, unfurled the little sails and resumed their course to the west, which had been agreeably interrupted by this morning repast. The breeze still kept up for twelve hours, and the aquatic voyagers made good headway with the wind behind them and they only needed to guide their course from time to time by a slight move of the paddle. Being gently and slowly drawn along in this horizontal position, 
they were somewhat inclined to fall asleep but it was necessary to resist this inclination which would have had inconvenient results craig and fry in order not to succumb to it lighted a cigar and smoked like the dandy bathers in a swimming pool several times the voyagers were troubled by the gambols of several marine animals which caused the unhappy soon the greatest fear fortunately they were only inoffensive porpoises and these clowns of the sea had innocently come to take a good look at the singular beings who were floating in their element and who seemed to be mammifera like themselves but no sailors what a curious spectacle these porpoises were as they approached in clusters darting along like arrows and tinting the waters with their emerald hues they bounded five or six feet out of the waves making a kind of perilous leap which proved the suppleness and strength of their muscles ah if the aquatic voyagers could have cut through the waters with that rapidity greater than that of the fastest ships they would soon have reached land it made one long to fasten himself to one of these fish and be towed along but what somersaults and plunges they made it would be much better to depend only on the wind to help oneself for although it was slower it was infinitely more available however toward noon the breeze died away and only an occasional capricious whiff swelled the small sails one moment to leave them to fall inert the next the sheet slackened in the hand that held it and there was no motion felt beneath their feet or head a complication said craig grave one answered fry they stopped a minute took in the sail took down the mast and each placing himself again in a vertical position looked at the horizon the sea was still deserted neither a sail nor the smoke of a steamer against the sky being in sight a hot sun had dried up the mists and cleared the air the temperature would have seemed warm even to men not clad in a double envelope of rubber hopefully as fry craig declared themselves as to the result of this adventure they could not help feeling anxious indeed they could not calculate the distance they had traversed for about sixteen hours but what was more and more inexplicable was that nothing neither a ship of commerce nor a sailing-boat gave evidence of the proximity of the shore fortunately kin fo craig and fry were not men to despair before the journey's end if that time should ever come they still had enough provisions for one day and there was no indication of bad weather use your paddle said kin fo this was the signal for departure and the voyagers resumed their westward route sometimes on their backs sometimes on their faces they did not go fast for working the paddles soon fatigued arms not accustomed to the motion and they often had to wait for soon who kept behind and began his jeremiads again his master called abused and threatened him but soon no longer fearing for what was left of his braid which was protected by the thick rubber hood let him talk on and the fear of being left behind was enough to keep him near about two o'clock several birds appeared they proved to be seagulls which are swift-winged and fly far out to sea so that one could not infer from their presence that the coast was near nevertheless this was considered a favorable sign an hour later the aquatic voyagers fell into a network of seaweed from which they had considerable trouble to extricate themselves they were as securely caught as fishes in the meshes of a net and had to take knives and cut their way out of the marine thicket 
this caused the loss of a full half-hour and an expenditure of strength that might have been better utilized at four o'clock the little floating band stopped again very much fatigued it must be confessed quite a fresh breeze had arisen but it blew from the south which gave some cause for anxiety indeed the voyagers could not navigate under the head-wind like a boat whose keel keeps it from drifting if they unfurl their sails they ran the risk of being carried northward and of losing a part of what they had gained in the west besides a heavy swell was felt and the waves dashing against them as the tide rolled in made the situation much more painful they made quite a long halt and made use of it not only to rest but to strengthen themselves by attacking the provisions again this dinner was less cheerful than their breakfast night would return in a few hours the wind was starting up and now what course should they take kin fo leaning on his paddle frowning and more irritated than disturbed at this spitefulness of fate did not utter a word soon gaped incessantly and sneezed like a mortal threatened with a terrible influenza craig and fry felt that they were questioned by their companions but they did not know what to answer finally a very happy chance furnished a reply shortly before five o'clock craig and fry simultaneously pointing to the south exclaimed a sail indeed three miles away and going with the wind a boat appeared under full sail now with the wind behind her to continue in the direction she was taken she would probably pass within a short distance of the place where kin fo and his companions were resting there was but one thing to do to block her way by rising perpendicular to meet her the aquatic voyagers therefore proposed to do this and their strength returned now that safety was once more in their hands as it were they could not let it escape the direction of the wind no longer allowed them to make use of the small sails but the paddles would suffice the distance to be gone over being comparatively short the boat was rapidly becoming larger to the sight under the breeze which was growing stronger it was only a fishing boat and its presence here evidently indicated that the coast could not be very far away for chinese fishermen rarely venture out to sea now then dash ahead bravely cried fry craig paddling with all their strength they were not obliged to rouse their companion's ardor for kin fo lying flat on the water sped along like a race-boat and as for soon he really surpassed himself and kept ahead of them all he was so afraid of being left behind but they must make half a mile in order to reach the waters in the vicinity of the boat besides it was broad daylight and if the voyagers did not come near enough to be seen they could at least make themselves heard but would not the fishermen take flight when they saw these singular marine animals and heard them shouting to them that would be very serious however they could not afford to lose a single moment and they struck out with their arms the paddles beat the crests of the waves with the utmost rapidity and the distance was perceptibly lessened when soon who was still ahead gave a terrible cry a shark a shark this time soon was not mistaken about twenty feet off two appendages were seen above the water they were the fins of a voracious animal peculiar to these seas the tiger shark which is fully worthy of its name for nature has given him the twofold ferocity of the shark and the tiger your knives cried fry and craig they were the only arms they had at their disposal 
and perhaps were insufficient, soon, as one may judge, stopped instantly and turned around and sailed off as fast as he could. But the shark caught sight of the voyagers and started for them. His enormous body, spotted and striped with green, was seen for a moment through the transparent waters. He measured from sixteen to eighteen feet in length and was a monster. He made a dive at Kin Fo first, turning half round as if to snap him up. Kin Fo did not in the least lose his presence of mind, but just as the shark was about to attack him, gave it a blow on his back with his paddle, and with one vigorous effort sailed quickly beyond. Craig and Fry approached, ready for attack or defense. The shark dived for a moment, and then came to the surface, opening his mouth, which was like a large pair of shears provided with four rows of teeth. Kin Fo wished to try once more the exploit which had just been successful, but his paddle came into contact with the animal's jaw, which cut it close off. The shark, which was partly lying on its side, then threw itself on its prey. Immediately streams of blood gushed out, and the sea was tinged with red. Craig and Fry had increased their blows on the animal, and, hard as its skin was, their long-bladed American knives succeeded in cutting it. The monster's jaws then opened and closed with a horrible noise, while its tail beat the water frightfully. Fry received a blow from his tail which hit him in the side and threw him back ten feet. "'Fry!' cried Craig in tones of the deepest grief, as if he had received the blow himself. Hurrah! answered Fry, returning to the onset. He was not wounded, for his rubber curious deadened the blow. The shark was again attacked, and with great fury. He turned around and around, but Kin Fo succeeded in driving the broken end of his paddle into his eye, and tried, at the risk of being cut in two, to hold it still, while Fry and Craig tried to strike the heart. It is to be supposed that the two agents succeeded, for the monster, after making a last struggle, sank in a wave of blood. "'Hurrah! hurrah! hurrah!' shouted Fry Craig, waving their knives. "'Thank you,' was all that Kin Fo said. "'You are welcome,' Craig replied. "'Do you think we would let a mouthful of two hundred thousand dollars go to this fish?' "'Never!' added Fry. "'And soon. Where was soon?' Ahead this time, and already very near the boat, which was not three cables' length away. The coward had fled by the help of his paddle, but came near getting into trouble. The fishermen saw him, but they could not imagine that under this sea-dog accoutrement there was a human being, and therefore they prepared to fish for him as they would for a dolphin or seal. As soon as it was within reach, a long rope with a strong harpoon at the end was flung into the sea. The harpoon struck soon above the belt of his garment, and, as it slipped off, tore it from the middle of the back to the neck. Soon, being now kept up only by the air in the lining of the pantaloons, tumbled over and stood with his head in the water and legs in the air. Kin Fo, Craig, and Fry, just arriving, took the precaution to hail the fishermen in good Chinese. Imagine the fright of these good men. Seals which talked. They would put on sail and depart with utmost speed. But Kin Fo reassured them and made himself and his companions known as men and Chinese like themselves. Shortly after, these terrestrial mammifera found themselves on board, but soon was left behind. They hauled him in with a hook, and raising his head above the waters, while one of the fishermen took hold of the end of his braid, they drew him up. 
but the whole braid came off in his hand and the poor devil plunged into the water again the fisherman then threw a rope around him and succeeded after some trouble in pulling him into the boat he was hardly on deck and had barely time to spurt the salt water out of his mouth when kin fo approached him and said in a severe tone then it was false but if it had not been answered soon should i who knew your habits ever have been able to enter your service and he said this so comically that all burst out laughing these fishermen were from Funing, and less than two leagues off was the very port kin fo wished to reach that same evening about eight o'clock he landed there with his companions and taking off captain boyton's rubber suits all four resumed the appearance of human beings end of chapter twenty